So, Catherine, you were up late last night. You're uh, shaking off the cobwebs this morning. Oh, my gosh. And I had been up 24 hours straight because I was flying back from Madrid yesterday. So um, and, and there was no way I was going to fall asleep during that game. It was it was insane. It was amazing. So the Washington Nationals are World Series champs. Does this mean you, you guys have statehood now? No. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I wish. <laughs> it, came, I wish. it came with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you think any members of the Nationals listen to this podcast, Catherine? I have no idea. I know there's some football players that listen because they've reached out, but I don't know about baseball. Oh. Well, if any members of the World Series team or any football players or anybody else in sports listens, we want to know. You can fill out our audience survey there at the top of the show notes. This is, I think, the last week that we're doing it. And in all seriousness, it is really helpful for us because we know what you like to hear. We know where you are in the industry or outside of the industry, and it uh, just helps us create better content and, of course, find sponsors that are directly relevant to the show. Speaking of our sponsors, we are supported by SunGrow, and SunGrow is the leading solar inverter supplier by volume in the world. It is now a leading supplier in the Americas as well. It's got three gigawatts shipped in just the last two years. SunGrow inverters are the backbone of some of the most innovative projects in the world, from floating PV to big projects for tech companies. And uh, you can find out more at sungrowpower.com. From Green Tech Media, this is The Energy Gang, weekly debates and discussions on the fast-changing world of energy. I'm Stephen Lacey, a contributing editor at Green Tech Media. Welcome to the show. It's Halloween morning. I don't normally do anything big for this holiday, but I woke up in a playful mood, so I googled a bunch of puns and then sent around a run of show that's different from what we normally do. So this week we're creeping it real. We're giving them pumpkin to talk about. We just want to have a gourd time. Nothing? <laughs> oh my Come on, guys. god. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. All I can think of is like is how um there's a couple of squirrels who like have eaten through the gourds on my uh porch and so they look particularly ghoulish <laughs> all the pumpkins have like melted in our neighborhood because it's been so warm <laughs> you have to carve your pumpkin like the day before halloween now because all the bugs get in it because it's just so warm <laughs> yeah. so you sound like you're in a good mood jigger you didn't wake up with resting witch face no well you know i i was on an airplane back from san francisco and uh, everybody was uh cheering for the gnats and so that's why i'm in a great mood and then this morning my son couldn't wait to get up in the morning to put on his dinosaur costume. How does he look? Fantastic. Pretty scary, <laughs> I have to say. Do you have a costume to boot? I don't. I, I, yeah. I don't participate in the costuming. I guess I should. <laughs> Jigger's president of Generate Capital. He's there in Bethesda, Maryland, back from the West Coast, where uh, I assume we'll be talking about the horrors of what's happening over there. Uh, Catherine, I thought about starting with a skeleton joke, but I thought you might not find it humorous. Oh, jeez. Yeah, well, guess what? <laughs> I actually am doing a costume, though. Do you want to you want to hear what it is? Yeah. All right. I do. All right. So, of course, I'm going to have a Nats cap, but on that cap, they're going to be a little solar panel, a little wind propeller. In one hand, I'm holding a little battery pack. In the other hand, one of those little handheld crank generators. And on my T-shirt is a crown that says, keep calm and get a microgrid. Oh, <laughs> I love it. I like it. You got the, the wind turbine there. I'm gonna, Mine's going to say, have a wind turbine. It's going to say renewable energy. I'm a big fan. Nice. <laughs> so Catherine Hamilton, 
aside from being a microgrid, is also chair of 38 North Solutions. She's there in Washington, D.C., a city that is celebrating not just the Halloween holiday, but the World Series win. So here's how things are going to go for this show. We're going to have a little fun. First up, we're choosing the story from 2019 that is most worthy of its own horror movie, and we have to choose the genre of horror. Then we pick the story or trend of the year that just won't die. And finally, the thing or person, it could be a person, company, government, whatever, that deserves a treat. Okay, so for topic one, the story worthy of its own horror movie. First up, the matinee. Catherine, what genre of horror film are you showing? Yeah, so this is a cross between a zombie movie and a psychological thriller. Um, and you, you can choose based on how you feel during this movie. But, of course, it's about FERC, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. And it the, what won't go away in this is the discussion of resilience. And, again, the chairman, Chatterjee, brought it up, like, we're going to do something on resilience. So over a year ago, the comment period closed for all of the system operators to say, what they cared about on resilience and what they were thinking about. Part of it had to do with like, what are all the threats on the grid, whether natural or otherwise? What is like, what are the, what are the issues that they as independent system operators have to deal with? And, you know, it's, it's an issue that I think a lot of people, it's a Rorschach test. So, Resilience is what you think it is, right? So an ISO will think that it's some way to retain reliability on their system and prevent horrible things from happening that they don't really have control over and would like to have more control over. For people who are out of power, it's about like, how do we get it back quickly? So how do we fail fast and recover fast? But it's a topic that's not going to go away. And I think we're going to continue to even discuss it in this episode. But I think it's a zombie movie. This is definitely like an art house movie because... Very few people are paying this much attention to FERC. So uh, definitely smaller audiences, but that does not mean that it's not an extremely important film to be showing. Jigger, what do you think? Is this a zombie movie or a psychological thriller? Well, I choose to believe that it's a psychological thriller. I, uh, you know, I remember just like 18 months ago when people were making dumb arguments about how solar and wind were going to become worthless. And now we're actually like arguing about whether, you know, these coal plants and, you know, other essential plants that don't even have um, long-term contracts, um, you know, are going to get paid by the grid to operate, right? And so on the one hand, we were thinking that solar plants would be worth like, you know, nothing. And on the other hand, we're thinking these coal plants, you know, are going to continue to be able to get four and a half cents a kilowatt hour to force people to pay for them. So, Catherine, how does this movie end? Oh, gosh, I wish I could tell you. I think it's going to be a surprise ending, and it may just be that uh, it's completely dark in the end, <laughs> that everything just goes black. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so cynical. It, it, it wouldn't be, it, it, it shouldn't be that funny given how many people are in the dark right now. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, that brings us to the evening showing. Jigger, what are you threading up into the projector? Oh, my God. Unfortunately, I found a docu-horror. Ooh, what is it? Well, it's the real-life, you know, um, saga of Silicon Valley. You know, I think what's going on right now is that there are all these people who basically are driving their electric cars and have no cash in their wallets because they've decided to go completely cashless in their society. And... And they've suddenly realized that they needed both. They needed like gasoline in their car 
uh, filled up and they needed, you know, a lot of cash in their wallet to buy stuff because point of sale things don't work. You know, when you think because of the California wildfires. I mean, I guess they're actually going to shut down Malibu here pretty soon. So it's like it's not just like 1.3 million households or whatever in PG&E's territory. Now, because of the Getty fire, you've got um, 260,000 households down in Southern California, Edison and LAWP. And you now it looks like Malibu is going to get shut down tomorrow. Yeah, Jigger, it looks like the apocalypse. It just looks unbelievable. And so to clarify, Jigger, the the horror is the the um the, the wildfires and then like the scene that you just set are the people who are like driving around not knowing what to do without power or or because their their communities are on fire. Well, it's all of it. I mean, like even today, right? 2 weeks after the first public safety shutoff or so, they still don't have emergency centers that run 24-7. So there's all these people who have sleep apnea who can't sleep because their machines don't work. I mean, one of my employees, um, their family has been out for four and a half days. All of their food's been thrown out. They've got black mold growing in their refrigerators. I mean, you know, like the the horror films are coming coming out. There's a lot of people who are catering from home who've lost thousands of dollars of work because they, their ovens don't work. They've been convinced to move to induction ovens and their ovens don't work now, right? And it's it's just one of those things where it's like, what are you supposed to do? Do you just take the whole fall off? Do you like go to like, you know, Hawaii and like spend like three months there while you wait for the utility companies to figure out their crap? And now the utility companies are saying, we might be able to solve this problem in 10 years, yeah, I, I've been riveted by this, just watching from afar, constantly updating, updating my Twitter feed, watching news clips. It's it's truly horrifying, and definitely sympathies go out to the people who are living through it. Th- this does feel like the kind of movie where no one can agree what or even where the evil is, right? We know it's out there. It's climate change, or partly climate change, um, but we can't agree on like who created this scenario in which climate change made it worse meaning like is it the utility is it people living in the wrong place creating the potential for more damage in communities is it the governor who didn't do enough or previous governors who didn't do enough it just feels like we're not quite sure like uh who who the antagonist of this film is i was talking to so xavier um over at uh, Zola Electric uh, is in the same building as us. That's Xavier Helgeson, who who founded, co-founded uh, Zola Electric, and they were on What It Takes recently. So, uh, yeah, he's he's someone you should listen to. He's got a bunch of inventory in Petrero Hill that is like slated to go to like Tanzania. People want it in PG&E's territory. They need his stuff to charge cell phones. Like all the stuff that he worked on for like 15 years, like in Africa, he's now selling to people in PG&E's territory. Like it's 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 maddening. Well, uh, again, true real life horror movie playing out. So finally, I've got the midnight showing and I've got a triple showing, actually. First up is a slasher flick. Uh, and this is related to coal. A report from Carbon Brief this week showed that four out of five coal plants in Europe are now losing money hand over fist. That's about $7.2 billion in losses coming for the year. 
Uh, it should be noted that some of the European utilities in the analysis, like RWE, disputed it, saying that their revenues were covering costs of, of many of their plants, but they don't break out figures in their in their earnings. So uh, whatever you know, the specific economics of, of individual plants look like, clearly many of the, these plants are underwater and it's just getting worse. Meanwhile, Murray Energy, America's biggest private coal company, uh, it just filed for bankruptcy protection. It's the eighth producer this year, the eighth coal company to file for bankruptcy. And it just shows that the the, the, the slashing continues for many of these companies that have been historic incumbents in the coal industry, at least in, in Western countries. Yeah. And then Taylor Kuykendall says that they're actually more like 11 companies. They're just a bunch that nobody's been writing about or talking about. Yeah, that's Taylor Kirkendall of S&P. He's been on the podcast before. He's the guy to go to if you want to follow what's happening in the coal industry. Um, let's just say that he is one of the screenwriters of the slasher flick playing out right now in the coal industry. Um, and, and, and I was thinking about the characters in this film. Uh, Robert Murray, who's the CEO of Murray Energy who is a you know big Trump supporter, was was one of the architects of the Trump plan to save coal or try to save coal. He's like the the frantic teenager in this movie who finds the dopey security guard for protection only to have it be Trump. And Trump like falls asleep and lets the killer in anyway. Uh, <laughs> I won't go any further with that one. Don't oh, go God. in the basement. <laughs> uh, the second one is a is a is a clown horror movie. Very specific niche sub uh, kind of movie. I don't watch much many clown horror movies, but this one was impossible not to watch. The clowns are running rampant in Ohio. Uh, earlier this summer, lawmakers in Ohio passed one of the just the most dismal, shameful bills on energy called HB six. It guts the renewable energy standards. It completely you know destroys energy efficiency standards. It it provides uh, hundreds of millions of dollars for bailouts for nuclear and coal plants. It is just the worst kind of energy policy that you well, can imagine. Well, and they screwed up the bill. Did you see that? So, so the bill basically said the money could only go to like private IOUs, and the coal plants happen to be owned by public right uh, entities. So they're like, uh, "Whoops, <laughs> we, we messed that up." <laughs> right. The nuke plants are first energy and the, the coal plants are the Ohio Valley Electric Corporation. I did uh, not actually see that. Uh, well, uh, so Sierra Club is suing to like to make them strictly follow the wording that they passed. <laughs> well, and the consumers have to pay for all this, too. Oh, exactly. Exactly. Uh, and so there's this whole petition to, to try to overturn the bill and and the uh the war around this petition is just disgusting. We did mention it on a previous show. The groups, like the utility-backed groups against the petition to overturn the bill are claiming that activists affiliated with the Chinese government are stealing personal information by asking you to sign the petition. It is disgusting. The politics are a circus. It's a complete clown show. Then our third film, we're capping it off with a teen horror film, uh, Greta Thunberg and the rest of the climate kids rising up against the zombies in government. Um, they're the protagonists in the beginning of the movie whom everyone tries to shut up because no one can imagine the horror of what's to come, but they're ultimately proven right. Um, being proven right isn't exactly what we want in this case, uh, but we can only hope this movie offers an ending that isn't so grim. Last time I thought about 
the kids rising up, I was thinking about Red Dawn. Remember that movie? Is that where like the prep school kids like uh, rise up against Russian Russian yeah. uh, <laughs> assets? Yeah, they have to yeah. like pee in the radiator to keep the car going. <laughs> and like, and, like, you know, they have like lo- like missile launchers. That was like a coming of age movie for me in the eighties. Oh yeah, it's a great film. Well, hopefully, this teen horror film turns into more of an action adventure, and uh, and, and these 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 teens create a less uh, dire and more exciting future for us all. A quick break here, an intermission from our films to talk about our sponsor, SunGrow. With more than 87 gigawatts of inverters deployed across the globe, SunGrow is growing rapidly in the U.S., and they're working with some of the largest companies at the cutting edge of renewable procurement. That includes Apple, and Apple is trying to be powered by 100% renewable energy. And in order to do that, it is building out and contracting with some really large solar facilities, including a 251-megawatt facility in Boulder, Nevada. That facility is built by Swinterton Renewables, using SunGrow inverters and trackers from NextTracker and cutting-edge bifacial modules. Five megawatts is also going to be available to customers to subscribe so they can take part in the project too. SunGrow is innovating across the board in bifacial, in large projects, in energy storage, and you can learn more about what they're up to at sungrowpower.com. Now, on to the story or trend from 2019 that just won't die. Catherine, what's yours? Just climate bad news just keeps getting worse and worse. And of course, I always look at the policy implications. So I was invited to do a presentation by a newspaper in Spain this last week in Madrid. And one of the charts that I had showed how even the new commitments, new policies, won't even come close to keeping us below two degrees centigrade. And afterwards, somebody came up to me and said, that was the worst news I've ever heard. But you said it in such a nice way. I don't feel so bad. Um, But <laughs> One of the, um, and I was speaking in English rather than Spanish, but the story that really hit me when I was doing the research for my slides and you know while I was in Madrid was this New York Times piece on the rising seas that are going to erase more cities by 2050 than originally thought. So a lot of Vietnam, 20 million people in Vietnam would be underwater, Mumbai, huge financial um, center, Bangkok, Shanghai, Alexandria, Egypt, so a huge part of our history. Um, and it just is, it's an environmental disaster, but also humanitarian security and even a military disaster because of what's going to also happen in the Middle East. So it's a terrifying story. Look it up in the New York Times, but it's got some pretty interesting maps. Yeah, I, I, I don't even know what to think about it, honestly, right? I mean, by definition, people want to live on the water, right? That was the whole point. And you have ports and you have trade and whatever. So all of the most important cities in the world are on the water and they are subject to climate change rise. I just don't, I don't quite know what's going to happen. Are, are all these cities going to spend a trillion dollars to protect itself? It, it seems ludicrous. At some point, do we just condemn them and move inland? Yeah, the maps, it just doesn't look like there would be, you know, it would be hard to know where to go, where, how to protect yourself. You know, you, it seems like you would have to move. Jigger, what is yours? So mine, of course, is my famous, you know, blockchain and ICO and, you know, and stuff like that. I remember in 2017, during COP23, when they actually like had 100 blockchain specialists, they came in and did these big presentations. And then we were going to have 
everything was going to get totally upended and we were going to have like DERs and DERMs and all these other things that were going to get enabled by blockchain. And, you know, and now like this year, the International uh, Civil Aviation Organization, which, you know, manages a lot of the airlines, has authorized uh, a currency. And so they have a cryptocurrency or whatever for uh, measuring carbon uh, reduction because they've got, um, um, you know, a mandate to meet 100% of their carbon growth. And I'm just like, how has blockchain changed my life? Like, I get that certain things are more secure and maybe a little bit better behind the, you know, behind the screen. But like, I still have no idea how this is going to revolutionize my life. Good, good story pick. And I agree that it's sort of the story that won't quite die in some circles. Although I don't think it should die necessarily because blockchain does feel like an important one to me. I have to disagree a little bit. Uh, I think that the the hype rises and falls. It comes and goes. It lives and it dies. But ultimately, we're talking about something as fundamental as the Internet, like some kind of security protocol that we can build applications on top of over time. It's not going to revolutionize our lives now. Um, But like maybe 10 years down the road, we'll see it as something that is important. No, but it's just like to me, it's a security protocol, right? Basically, like there's got to be hundreds of names for security protocols, but I don't attend cybersecurity conferences. I don't know any of them. I just expect that like Microsoft, when they're like downloading some sort of update behind uh, my screen or whatever is updating some new security protocol and it has some sort of name associated with it and it might be blockchain. But like I'm trying to figure out how like bringing it forward and making me pay attention to it is actually going to make it more likely. Yeah, I, I see it as a more of a tracking tool. So whether it's with energy trading or carbon tracking or tracking where diamonds are coming from or cobalt is coming from, I see a lot of uses like that that have impacts downstream but are really much more upstream. I'm not as cynical about blockchain itself. Of course, we have to be aware of the hype cycle, but it's not blockchain I'm cynical about. It's this idea that we're going to revolutionize the way people sell energy. This this idea that it's going to open up this this cryptocurrency trading around renewable electrons and create peer-to-peer energy sales. And like I generally don't think that that world will materialize in any meaningful way. So that to me is where I get a little bit more uh, cynical about the hype. But the underlying technology is still very interesting to me. I just don't think it'll play out in the way that people were claiming at the first stage of the hype cycle. Well, Shale Khan and I were going to stage an intervention for you, and it sounds like we should like hold off on doing that. <laughs> Wait a second. Have I been like... I have not been like the biggest blockchain proponent. The only reason why we've talked about it on this podcast or on the interchange is because of you. Oh, well, I genuinely think it's interesting. I, but that doesn't mean I'm, <laughs> I'm like the hype. I'm, like, I'm not like the hype guy. I just think it's a topic that's interesting. Well, the story is not going to die here. I'm with you, Stephen. So I've got this weird hybrid uh, theme for mine, and that is zombie mythological horror. So it's a story. It's a zombie story. It's a story that won't die. Uh, and it's sort of mythological because it's, I think it's, it's a, certainly a myth, <laughs> straight up. So the, the myth is we have 12 years to solve climate change. It's something that 
Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has claimed many times, that Bernie Sanders claims, that has become this rallying cry for many of the teen climate activists and the Sunrise Movement. It's like it is the statement now that people are making on the left and within climate change activism. And I just think it's like really important to not get carried away with this claim. So where did this claim come from? It's from a 2018 IPCC report. We talked about that report. And that report looked at what it would take to keep uh, global temperatures below 1.5 degrees Celsius. And in order to reach that goal, the IPCC said that carbon emissions have to be on a path to fall by about 45% by 2030. So hence the 12 years away. And let's be clear. We need to slash emissions like yesterday, and we needed to do a lot within 12 years. And, and that certainly is a heavy lift over the, between now and 2030 to, to, to drop emissions that much. But it, there's not some kind of end of world scenario that's going to occur if we don't drop emissions by 45 percent by then. And, uh, you know, two degrees C warming world is not a very nice world to live in. But it's it's not like when we hit this this year and we haven't exactly dropped emissions 45 percent that it's going to be this outright catastrophe. So I know that's not a very convenient narrative for rallying people in the streets, but it's it's just not true. And to me, it was a story that like rose up this year or kind of last year and into this year that bothered me a little bit. Yeah, but Stephen, this is actually the goal that the rest of the world is looking at too. And they're looking at it as like, we need to get to seriously reduced by 2030 and zero emission by 2050. And that's all based on IPCC numbers. So it's not just AOC and Bernie Sanders that are saying this. I mean, I'm working on with the World Economic Forum and everything that we look at is what technologies will we be able to deploy by 2030? What's ready? What are the costs? I mean, everything we're doing is pointing to 2030. And so I, I think it is a good goal, but I, I don't think it's just on the left. I think globally, it's it's a number that a lot of people are looking to. No, no, no. The number is correct. I mean, like I'm not I'm not arguing with the conclusion in the IPCC report. What I'm arguing with is what people how people have characterized it. People are now saying to children, (laughs) we have 10 years to save the world or 12 years to save the world. And like the implication is if we don't if we don't do this within 12 years, like the world is ending. And the way it's characterized, I think, is wrong. But the underlying science and the conclusion is still dire. I'm not disputing that at all. I don't know, Stephen. I mean, you've got a young kid at home. I've got a young kid at home. Qatar is air conditioning its sidewalks because you can't actually go outside because it's so freaking hot. Like, I, you know, like I, I hear you, Stephen. And sometimes I don't like when people sort of just overhype things or over, you know, sort of glorify like the end is near. But at some point, you're sort of like, you know, like s- several of my employees at Generate had to wear like air masks because the smoke was so bad, um, you know, near the office. Um, like, I, I just think and we're in the first year of public safety shutoffs. Like, I, I don't I don't exactly know what's coming by 2030, but I do think all of this BS where we're making all sorts of pronouncements about we're net zero waste, we're 100% renewable energy, we're 100% clean electric vehicles, whatever. And then carbon emissions are still going up in Australia. At some point, you're like, shit's going to get real. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely split on this. And I completely agree. And in fact, 
this the, the I mean the this rallying cry hasn't really bothered me that much. I think it's just been elevated to this status of like this end of world status. And like I'm not disagreeing with any of that or the fact that we are facing an extremely dire situation. But Oh, just break out in song already, Steven. <laughs> it's the end, end of, of the world, world as, as we, we know, know it. it. And <laughs> I feel fine. Uh I'm going to get a lot of shit for this. I know it, but okay. I'm trying. <laughs> you stepped in it, I'll man. Take the you shit. stepped in. Hold on, I, it's fi- it's fine. I, but but maybe when people start adding me on Twitter, I just want you to know that I'm not disagreeing with the the dire problem or what they're saying in the IPCC report. I'm just saying that there are a certain number of people who have taken that and created a whole separate narrative that I think is like uh, a little questionable. With that said, let's go to something positive. The story worthy of a tree. It could, again, it could be a trend, a person, a company, whatever it is. Uh, who is getting your candy from your bowl of treats this year? Catherine? Yeah, so I'm going to stay over in the EU where I was this week. And I want to mention a company, Novo Nordisk. You all have probably heard of it. It's almost 100 years old. It's headquartered in Denmark. They're a triple bottom line company, which is people, planet, profit. So they really are trying to work to go to zero carbon emissions with circular economy. They um, they produce diabetes needles and all kinds of other materials that people use every day and end up throwing away into landfills. And so what they're trying to do is really have a circular economy to zero out their, um, you know, to eliminate their footprint, their carbon footprint. And I like seeing companies in different sectors, and this is pharmaceutical sector, really trying to make a difference. And I think it can because of everything that they produce and all the emissions that are attributed to all of that. I I think it can make a huge difference. So I'm really happy with what they're doing. Novo Nordisk gets a piece of candy from me. Oh, that's nice. What kind of candy? I'm a big Snickers fan, honestly. All right, Novo Nordisk, your circular economy uh, goal gets a nice Snickers bar. Congratulations! Now, why why are they? I mean, are they doing anything different than than other bigger companies? Because I know there are some other bigger corporates that have announced goals like this over the years. Is it just their top of mind right now, or did they do something special compared to other corporates? Yeah, they there was an article in the World Economic Forum about what they're trying to do and how they're working with other companies to to make a difference. And I think, you know, having and and they're partnering with Orsted to uh, buy wind energy and make sure that they're at 100 percent renewables also. So, I mean, all of these companies are connected in some way based on their different businesses. And I think it's just interesting to see other sectors coming in. Yeah, agreed. And, you know, uh, despite its many flaws, Walmart has been an interesting company on this front, too, because it announced its Project Gigaton initiative, which is to not just do, you know, reduce carbon emissions and energy use internally. They, they're actually going out to suppliers and saying, give us less packaging, uh, find ways to concentrate products. We want to slash emissions all throughout our supplier chain. And I think that a lot of big companies are doing that. And hopefully within the next decade, it creates something meaningful. Hopefully now it creates something meaningful. So definitely an important trend. And I'll hand out a few treats to the big companies that are doing something similar. Jigger, who are you giving a treat to? So I couldn't pick just one treat, but I'll make one short and one long. I, um, I have to say that I do think that we should give a treat to Google. Um, I've been one of the bigger critics of Google for a long time. Um, and my buddy, Michael Terrell there, um, you know, needles me about it. 
But, you know, I think what they're trying to do, not just doing 100% renewable energy, but also trying to figure out how to, like, you know, remake um, utility regulation. Frankly, Microsoft's been helping a lot in that area with Brian Janis over there and others. Like, I, you know, they're not just checking the box. They're actually trying to be part of the major permanent long-term solution, which I think they get a big, huge treat for. Yeah, I, I agree with that. What kind of treat, first of all? You know, I thought about it for a long time. Smarties? And I think it's got to be a Twizzler straw. Oh. <laughs> yeah, because they need something to pump the CO2 down, <laughs> you know, <laughs> under the ground. <laughs> uh, well, no, so. I, I agree with the assessment, though. Google is one of the companies out front doing this whole 24 hour 24 7 renewable energy initiative like they are trying to match renewable power to the demand of their data centers and other facilities hard work uh takes i mean that's really hard work and they are all in so good choice and then the other treat i wanted to give was to virgin galactic um it's not really a climate thing i mean it's probably the opposite of a climate thing but um, I just I remember being just fascinated by the X Prize when it came out 16, 17 years ago. And then I think, um, you know, Bert Rattan won the X Prize. Was it the Ansari X Prize at the time? And um, and then Virgin Galactic was born out of that. And, you know, they had some unfortunate accidents along the way where pilots, um, you know, died in the um, in the testing of this. But I do think that we now have a plane that's safe enough to take passengers um, into, you know, sort of uh, sub-orbit and can, you know, so they can see the blue marble. And they went public this week. The blue marble before it turns brown. Oh, I think the blue marble will stay blue. You and I just won't be very safe. (laughs) Right, right. It'll be much bluer, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) The Earth is going to be just fine. It's our species we should worry about. Oh, boy, we're having so much fun with catastrophe. But Stephen, doesn't anybody get a treat from you? Oh, yes, of <laughs> course. Uh, you know who showed up at my door? They they uh, Last year, they got a trick. This year, they get a treat. That is Volkswagen. And Volkswagen obviously got a, you know, a trick when they scammed everybody during the Dieselgate scandal. Uh, but they, of course, under legal pressure and the settlement invested very heavily in EVs. And this year, that has really played out. They're investing $33 billion in electric vehicles through 2023. And they are building how many factories? I think they're building eight electric car plants around the world, one of which is going to be in Tennessee. Um, And they're aiming for 40% of their sales to be electric vehicles by 2030. So this is a really big deal. Of course, it came from a pretty terrible story, but ultimately, I think Volkswagen gets a treat because they are going above and beyond what the settlement dictated, and they are truly putting some big bets on electric vehicles. Uh, Michael Liebrick uh, on Twitter had a really insightful comment. He just said, I don't think investors have realized that VW is essentially betting the company on EVs. If it if the bet doesn't pay off, it's hard to see the company survive in its current form. If it does pay off, we will be in a different world and we'll know that by 2022. So good for VW for taking this risk. But what about GM, Fiat, Chrysler, and Toyota who sided with the Trump administration on the California emissions fight? Ugh. 
Yeah, what is up with that, Catherine? <laughs> what are you? Wait, Can, why are you asking me? I think they're crazy to do that. <laughs> I'm so mad at Toyota. I just bought a Rav Four Hybrid, and I'm like so mad that they did that. Oh my God, you have to have a policy. They, they, they you have to be able to just give it back. Just go to the dealer and be like, take it, take it back. <laughs> well, we are at the end of the tricking and the treating, so now we pull some free electrons out of our pillowcases and hand them over to our audience. Jigger, what is your free, free electron? Make it a bone-chilling free electron. Well, so the bone-chilling, the, the, the one that I looked at with that was the most bone-chilling was basically that in Siberia, you basically have these lakes that, you know, have where the permafrost is all sort of softened and melted. So you actually have continuous streams of methane that are that are they're coming out of the lake and so it looks like the lake is boiling in Siberia because there's so much methane coming out of the lakes they're like fountains of methane coming out of the lakes and so that made my bones a little chilly yeah and and in that area in Siberia and throughout the Arctic, there are literal bones being uncovered of ancient animals with ancient diseases, including things like anthrax uh, that are, you know, like making it out into the wild now. It's pretty wild. There's a professor at Harvard that's trying to take the DNA of old mastodons in the area and bring mastodons back Jurassic oh Park style. Mm. It just does not sound good. That doesn't good. end well. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I saw that movie. Catherine, what's your free electron? <laughs> Yeah, so a sort of bone chilling. Um, every week, Vox does like a book roundup of interesting books on a bunch of topics, and they um, had a link to an eco horror topic on books that was actually written up by Naomi Booth in the New York Times. And it was pretty interesting how she was talking about books that are eco-horror stories. And it's perfect topic for horror horror books um, because there is, it's all this crisis. That's, it's a disruption of normal order. There, it's just this amazing fear that goes with it. There's a loss, total loss of control. So, uh, so she was just saying it's a, it's a really fun piece about, you know, what uh, what horror writers are find, finding now and what's happening in our plant on our planet. So do you have the list in front of you? What's the best? What's the top book that listeners should should read? Yeah, she said the best known work of this eco horror genre. It was uh, Jeff Vandermeer's Southern Reach trilogy that was in 2014. And it was about this like super scary zone called Area X where everybody got sucked into. And um, yeah, it sounded terrifying. I don't think I'm going to read it, but it's worth reading her piece on it. <laughs> J- Jigger, do you read eco horror to your son at night? I don't. I don't. Remember as, the we, giving as tree. we discussed- The giving tree is eco-horror. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that is, so he loves the giving tree, I have to say. And and, I, and I'm like, one day you're going to like grow up and really realize what it's about. But right now, let's just talk about uh, like a boy who cuts down a tree. <laughs> Mine is the day of the dead coming. And the day of the dead is not Halloween. It is November 4th. That is when the White House is going to officially declare its attention, intention to walk away from the Paris Climate Agreement. And that will take a year. It will be the, 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 year, of the, the year of the dead, the year of the dead country walking. Uh, so 
legally they they ha- it will take you know 12 months for the u.s to officially pull out november 4th 2020 do you know what comes on november 3rd 2020 the election Mm-hmm. so obviously the trump you know trump will still be in the white house after the election assuming a democrat wins and you know the u.s can will still be pulling out but if a democrat does win the election and tries to re-enter the global agreement it's actually pretty simple it's just a 30-day process and a letter of intention uh now it will be a difficult process to sort of set reset targets and renegotiate where the u.s stands in relation to other countries but my sense is that the U.S. will get a little bit of leeway with that if it comes back in from the cold, so to speak. Let's hope so. <laughs> coming back in from the cold. I don't think anyone's coming back in from You just cold. went to a spy genre. <laughs> <laughs> no, I skipped to Christmas. Okay, tear down those Halloween decorations now and just skip right to the tissue paper turkeys. If you want to give us a treat... A rating and review on Apple Podcasts goes a long way. And please don't let my terrible puns deter you. I can assure you we are very serious people with very serious things to say. So send a link to your friend or your colleague who would like this show. And follow us on social media. Send your commentary there. My co-hosts are Catherine Hamilton and Jigger Shaw. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween yeah, to happy you. happy Halloween. And if you'd like to sell me, send me candy, make it Reese's peanut butter. <laughs> Catherine's going to be drinking champagne after that World Series win. Uh, I'm going to be catching <laughs> up on my sleep. Again, my co-hosts are Catherine Hamilton and Jigger Shaw. The show is produced and edited by me and Daniel Waldorf. We are a co-production of Green Tech Media and Postscript Audio. Thanks for listening. Until next time.